But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of re regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us rich, richly through Christ Jesus, our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Amen. You may have a seat as Pastor Todd comes. Merry Christmas. That's all right. We're working on it. I was reminded by that video, I want to read this passage in Revelation chapter 7, of verse 9 through the following. This is the reason we do what we do. Because we believe this to be true. This will happen one day. And this is what the revelation is that John received when God took him to heaven. And so this is kind of what he's seeing at the throne room of God. He says this, And behold, as I looked, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation and from all tribes and all peoples and languages, were standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. Behold, the Lamb of God. That is why we do what we do. Uh, because we believe that God is one day going to call all of His people to Himself. And that's really what we're even in the midst of here and Advent. We are uh, anticipating His arrival. We do believe that Christ will return. Amen? Like, we want that, we desire that, whether it's tonight or a hundred years from now or a thousand years from now, we do not know, but we do anticipate his arrival. Um, just as a way of recap, we're in the middle of this Advent series, and this morning we're going to look at uh, the, the gift of salvation through kindness. We're going to look at the kindness of God. Now, here's the part about this passage of Scripture and this season of Scripture, have you ever wondered the reason we have Christmas? Like, really contemplate. I know we know it's about a baby coming to earth. But there's a reason that baby had to come. And the reason the baby had to come wasn't because there was good news. The reason that baby had to come was because that baby knew that there would be a Good Friday. And Good Friday reveals to us the bad news. So I know we'll gather on Christmas, and I'll know we ha we'll have festive moments, and I know there's Christmas parties going all along, and I know there's joy and all that. I would just ask you, over these next two weeks, it's amazing, two more weeks, and we're, we're done with Christmas. Isn't that crazy? But I would ask you for the next two weeks to take some time with God to remind yourself of the reason he even had to come. And that's what I want to look at this morning. I want to look at three things. I want to look at the reason for the gift of kindness. I want to look at the, the resources of the gift of kindness. I want to look at the results. And as a way of benediction application, I want to look at the repeating of the gifts of kindness. So actually, I know I gave the passage to Jared and uh, Pastor Jay 
that we were going to start in verse 4, but in studying this week, I thought, man, we've got to, we can't start at verse 4. We've got to start at verse 3. Now, verse 3 is dark. There's not a lot of joy in verse 3. Let me read that passage to us this morning, but I want you to be reminded of the reason Jesus came. And here's the reason He came. It says this, this is Paul is writing to young Titus. Titus was a pastor, and he's saying to Titus, hey, you've got to remind the people where they come from. So I'd ask you in this quiet moment, where do you come from? And I want you to look at this list of things. Do any of these on this list remind you of where you came from before your salvation? Then I ask you to look at this list. Are any of these places in your life that you are currently living in? That you need salvation from? Let me read the passage to you in just verse 3. This is what Paul says to Titus. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice, and envy, hatred, hated by others, and hating one another. That's the reason he came. That's not good news. But in order to get to the good news, you always got to be reminded of the bad news. And so I ask you this morning, do you believe this is where you came from? Because this is what Paul says to Titus. All of you came from that, myself included. Several passages will remind us of that. This is the reason for the kindness of God. This is the reason we need the kindness of God. Romans 3, Paul says this to the Roman church. For it is written, this is Romans 3, 10 through 12, for it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. That doesn't mean some are righteous and some are not. Like no one is righteous not one person has ever lived righteous except one person no one understands God no one seeks God all have turned aside together they become worthless no one does good not even one this is what Paul says later on in that book in Romans chapter 5 he says for why we were enemies of God The psalmist says this in Psalm 14 and again in Psalm 53, he says the same thing twice, so it must mean it needs to be repeated. He says a fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. And so what the psalmist is saying is we were all once fools. All fools say there is no God. All of us in this room at one point in our journey with God, and maybe you're there this morning, you said there was no God.
It's because of all that God has done. Do you believe this morning that you once said there is no God? Do you believe this morning that as Paul says, we were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves of various passions and pleasures, passing our day in malice, envy, hating others, and being hated by others. That is who you are. I'm not telling you that. That's what God's Word is saying. We have to start there. So do you believe you need the kindness of God this morning in your life? And now Paul is going to say, hey, that's the reason, but now let me look at, show you the resources of God's gift. He says now in verse 4 through 6, remember what I said last week, there's that one word in the text, often, but. Oh, what a sweet transition word. That word but there means, hey, you were going this way, but something happened in your life that moved you from going this way to going that way. What a sweet transition word. But, he says, it doesn't have to be that way any longer. It's not that way any longer. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by you in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing and regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out onto us richly through Christ Jesus our Savior. So here's the resource of the kindness. It's not about your righteousness. That's what he says in the text. So if it's not about our righteousness, then how's it come? What is the resource of this great God that he would send us his son to us? I want to start with the first two words in the text. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God. The word goodness there in the text means this. It refers to God's generous heart that's what goodness means like there's this generosity to God that he just pours it out and keeps pouring it out and keeps pouring it out there is no end to his generosity it's like turning on the water hose and it never runs out that is the goodness of God on your life do you believe that that you have a generous God you see, generosity comes from an overflow of who God is. God's goodness never runs out. And I don't know about you, but I know in my life, it often feels like God's goodness runs out. That's how I feel. So I got to come through the text and be reminded of God's generous heart to me. It's poured out onto us. But it's just not his generous heart. Now looks what he's so generously pouring out to us. He could pour out a lot of things onto us, could he not? But now Paul says, let me show you what he's pouring out over you continually. Loving kindness. 
Now catch what this word, these two words mean in the Greek. Loving kindness means this. Compassion with an eagerness to deliver from pain. Let me say that again. God's goodness, His generous heart, is a compassionate heart that He has an eagerness, not just a willingness, but an eagerness to deliver you from your pain. What is the pain that He wants you to be delivered from? His wrath. That's what verse 3 is about. Those things, Paul will go on to say, these things are what God will pour his wrath out onto people for. But God in his goodness and his loving kindness, he wants to deliver you from your pain. And not just your eternal pain, but your pain here today. Do we believe that? That is the kindness of God. That is the gift of God. This is what Paul is saying to us is the reason for Christmas that God would pour out his generous heart to deliver us from pain. The pain of hell. Is that true for us? And then he goes on to say this in the text. He said, God wants to pour that out. That's the kindness of God our Savior. He appeared. He saved us. Not because of the works that we have done in our righteousness, but according to what? His own mercy. So this is, he's saying this is what he's going to do, and this is how he does it. It's through his mercy. Now what does the word mercy mean in the text? It goes back to loving kindness. Mercy means this. It's an outward manifestation of pity assuming there's a need on the part of the one who receives it. That's what John MacArthur says mercy is. Let me read that definition again. An outward manifestation of pity that assumes the need of the one who's receiving it. Which God looks on us with pity and he pours out his loving kindness, his mercy to us, But we have to know that we need it. Do you know you have a need for God's mercy? Right? That's where it goes all the way back to verse 3. Verse 3 shows us the need for mercy. Because Paul says, and I'll say it again, those things is the reason the wrath of God is coming. Which says, I don't want the wrath of God. Maybe you do. I definitely don't. So therefore, I need God's mercy on my life. He says this is what happens when you receive God's mercy that he pours out to us. The first thing that happens is this. It is regeneration or rebirth or conversion. That's the first thing that must take place in God's mercy. God's mercy reveals to us you need salvation. Do you believe that this morning? That there is a need for you in God's mercy to be saved, to be regenerated, to be reborn. Turn to John chapter 3. You know the text well. John 3. This is 
the Pharisee, Nicodemus, comes to Jesus in the shadows of the evening. And he says this conversation about this thing called eternal life that he longs for, that he's been hearing Jesus talk about. And he says this in verse 2, This man, Nicodemus, came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi or teacher, we know that you are a teacher that's come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is what? Born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot see the kingdom of God unless you're reborn, Nicodemus. So though you see these miracles that I'm doing, these miracles won't matter to you unless you're born again. And then Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of what water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What Jesus is saying to him is this, you can't do it on your own. You need the water and the Spirit to bring you rebirth. The, the water is simply talking about the Holy Spirit. Like over and over you'll see that the, the, the imagery of the Holy Spirit being water. He's saying, without the Holy Spirit, there is no regeneration. You can't do it on your own, Nicodemus. You cannot come to salvation on your own. You need something to happen for you. Now turn to Ezekiel chapter 36. Because God's going to reveal to the prophet what must take place in order for there to be rebirth or conversion. Hang with me, it's a long passage. And I'm going to skip, I'm going to read some and skip around to, to get through the entire passage. But this is what happens, this is what God reveals to the prophet. He says, therefore, say this to the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, it is not of your own sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but it's for the sake of my name. So what God is saying right off the bat about regeneration, it's not even about you. Your salvation has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with God. He's like, I'm about to act not for your sake, but for my sake and for the sake of my name. Because he stamps something in Genesis 3 that he made a promise that there would be regeneration. So now he's saying, I'm going to hold true my promises, not because of you, but because of me. He goes on to say this. He talks about all their uncleanliness, all their idols. If you just read the passage, take a highlighter. Every time he says, I or I will or I am, mark that. There's nothing that he says, you must do. He says, I will do all this for you. This is my work. This is my power and these are my promises. He says this in verse 20. I will take you 
from the nations, this is 24, and gather you from all the countries, and I'll bring you into my own land, and I will sprinkle clean water onto you, or I will bring rebirth to you, I will regenerate you, or I will convert you. And you shall be clean from all of your uncleanliness and from all of your idols, and I will cleanse you. And this is how I'm going to do it. Check how he's going to do it. Verse 26, and I will give you a new heart. You don't have to go find a new heart. As the gift of Christ at Christmas, he gives you a new heart. And a new spirit I put in you. Not only do I give you a new heart, but I give you the spirit, my own spirit, the counselor to guide you with something I gave you. What, what, this is the analogy. You ever gotten something and tried to do it without instructions? About the only one? It's like, man, you get halfway through, you're like, man, it would have been real helpful if I had started back there at step one. But this is what God says. I'm not going to give you something and not give you the help that you need to have what I just gave you. What a, if God were to do that, what an evil God. To call us to righteousness, but then not show us how to do righteousness. So he says, I'm going to give you a new heart and I'm going to give you the spirit with the new heart to lead you and guide you. He says, I will not only give you a new heart and a new spirit, but I will also what? Remove something from you. I'll remove your old heart that didn't work. What if God put a new heart and left the old heart in us? What, what, like, what a disaster that would be. But the promise is God gives you something and removes it from you. The old heart. He says, I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and I will cause you to be careful to obey all of my rules. And then you shall dwell in the land that I give to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God and I will deliver you from all the uncleanliness. You see what God is doing for us? What we could not do for ourselves. But do we believe that this morning? That's the first part of the process. A regeneration must take place in us. But then he doesn't stop there. Turn back to Titus chapter 3. He doesn't just say to us, hey, I'm going to convert you. Then he makes the promise of what? I will bring renewal to you. What does that mean? Remember the promise that Paul said that God made in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old has passed away. And behold, the new has come. That word means this. In your life and in my life, 
there is first the promise of justification. But now he's made the promise of sanctification. Justification, I've said it and I'll say it again, is there is a day we'll stand before a holy God and it's the blood of Christ that justifies us or says that we're innocent before God. But then there's this process in our salvation called sanctification. Sanctification is the ongoing work of being renewed. Though it happens in a moment, it takes a process of the rest of our lives to become more like Christ. And he promises us that. Not only will I justify you, but I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit to sanctify you. He goes on to say this in the passage. He says, it's by the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 6. Whom he poured out onto us. Jesus poured out his Holy Spirit onto us. And how did he do it? Catch the word in the text. Richly. That word means abundantly. God in your salvation, in your justification, and now in your sanctification, He pours out your Spirit onto you all day, every day. You are being constantly washed in the Holy Spirit. But yet, how often do we not live that way? I think we often don't live that way because we live back in verse 3. And so we allow the power of shame and the condemnation of guilt to not allow us to believe that the Holy Spirit is being washed over you in spite of what you've done. All those things in verse 3 have been taken care of at the cross if you're a believer. Therefore, Paul says, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but how often do we live in condemnation? And how often do we live believing that Christ isn't pouring out His Spirit onto us because of what we've done? And he's like, no, no, I'm pouring it out onto you daily, nightly, hourly, minute by minute, and it won't ever stop. we got to live there, church. And it's nothing that you've done. You don't have to get it right to come to Jesus. Get it wrong and come to Jesus. Praise God. And he's going to wash you clean. White as snow, he says. So let us not live in the condemnation from our past, but in the promise of the forgiveness that he offers us at the cross because of Christmas. Don't live in the past. Be reminded of the past so you can be grateful for your future and your present because of the presence of Christ. Amen? He says it's poured out on to you through the Holy Spirit, through Christ Jesus, our Savior. I could just do a whole nother sermon on that one word, Savior, and what that means. I won't have and don't have time. And now he says this. That's the resources of the good gift of kindness. Now look at the results of that for you in your life. 
He says there's three things that results in the kindness of God. The first one is this. So that being justified by grace. Just cover justification. Justification by God through Christ on the cross because of his birth, life, and death, and resurrection. You get to stand before a holy God white as snow. That's the first result of your salvation. He says, but it doesn't stop there. There's more to it. There's more of this gift of kindness that you get in your salvation. What's the next part of the gift that God gives you? He says this, not only that, not only are you justified, now he says that you're what in the text? You have become heirs according to hope of eternal life. So two more things. Now do you believe that you're an heir, a co-heir to Christ Jesus? So God looks at you in the text, this is what Paul is saying, the same way that he looks at Christ Jesus. Like you get the same inheritance that Christ has. Which is what? And now he says, this is the next part, this is the next promise, this is the next gift. You now have the hope of eternal life. Think about that for a moment. You've been forgiven, therefore you have justification, you're co-heirs with Christ, and now you have the hope of eternal security with Christ. But how often do we not live in those things? Because we live in the condemnation of verse 3 and not the freedom that comes in verse 4. Are we living there, church, this morning? Because if we live there, then this is the result of those things. Justification, we become co-heirs in the hope. And now God calls us to do something with what he's given to us. Now here's where the rubber meets the road. What are you doing? What am I doing? What is this church doing with the great gift of kindness that God has given to us? Because look what he says to do with it. Verse 8. This is a trustworthy saying. He's basically what that word means. This ain't Swiss cheese. It's got no holes in it. There's no holes in this statement. This is true as true as true can be. And I want you to insist on these things or to remember these things, the gift of kindness and loving kindness God's given to us. How come? So that those who have believed in God may be careful to what? Devote themselves to good works. What Paul is saying You cannot, we cannot, I cannot just sit on the gift of my salvation. I now must go do something what's been given to me and I must go do good works. I must go give this gift away to people. And my challenge to you, my challenge to me, church, am I giving these good works that God has given to me to other people? Because he says this, these things are excellent and profitable for people. We live in a lost and dying world that needs to be reminded the reason for Christmas. 
The reason for Christmas is that they are what? Verse 3. That they are foolish. That they are disobedient. That they are being led astray. That they are enslaved from passions and pleasures. They are in malice and envy and hating and being hated by other people. We need to tell them that. But then we got to tell them the great gift that comes with Christmas. That God has a loving and good kindness that he wants to pour out onto him and them. And we get to show him what that looks like. You cannot show him if you have not received it. And you cannot show him if you are not living it. You cannot give what you do not have. You cannot give what you do not practice. You cannot give what is not true for you. And I don't mean true here. I mean true tangibly. How is this fleshing out in your life? Which goes back to those things. Is there a renewal in your life today? The ongoing sanctification to become more and more and more and more like Jesus. That's the reason he left us his word. Are we in his word daily to be renewed by the spirit of God that he so generously and as he says, richly gave to us. May we receive the greatest gift that's ever been given to us, the kindness of God. Let me pray for us.